I'm going to need you guys to pay close attention today, all right? What's a fool? A fool. F O O L. You ever, you ever think of someone as being a fool? Well, what, what's a fool? Let's define the word. Unwise. That's, that's definitely on the right track. Then we've got to define wisdom. So we'll, what's that? Someone who, make, who doesn't make wise decisions is a fool. So I'll ask the question, but I want you to answer seriously. Does anyone feel like they're a fool? Okay, but why? What makes you, what, why do you choose to make foolish decisions? Well, so I want you to think about this. Because you, you ever, Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Anyone here want to affirm there's no God? No. How do you reconcile Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there's no God, with Romans 1, that everyone knows there is a God? Well, it's a difference of foolishness. Uh, Proverbs, I think it's 27, all through Proverbs, but fool, it's all about fools. A fool does this, a fool does this, a fool does this. Well, how do you know when you're being a fool? What's the cure for foolishness? And how are we to see the beauty of the gospel in light of this? Psalm, Psalm. Luke 22. Small section, verse 31, familiar section. It says, Simon... Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both prison and death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. What, what does that have to do with foolishness? Well, well let's back it up and see. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, uh-uh, I'm not going to deny you. I'd be willing to die for you. In other words, he's saying to Jesus, you're wrong. Or in other words, Peter is playing the fool. All right? You guys tracking with me? Is this just about Peter's personality? I'm going to contend that what's going on, most people miss all the way back in Genesis 1. So remember, remember God created, you guys remember that part, in the beginning God created? And he made the, the heavens and the earth and the, separated them and he made the animals and the plants and the fish and he does all this creation, right? And then he made man, and from man he made woman. But something unique happened when he made man and woman. He spoke to his creation. Do you ever notice that? He never said, Shamu and Moby, Moby Dick the whale, come over here. I want you to wiggle your hips and swim through the oceans and blow air. And he says to the, to the monkey, come here, monkey. I want you to swing from the trees and squall. I don't know what you do, but, but do what you do and bury nuts. Why did he talk to creation? Well, he spoke to people because we're image bearers. And we're made by God's decree to rule over his creation for his glory according to his instructions. God interprets creation and circumstances for his image bearers and tells us what to do for his glory according to his word. We're the only thing he speaks to in creation. Well, the devil comes along and he's, he's a serpent now. He's walking through the garden and he tempts Eve and through Eve, Adam. And what does he say? Come with me to the produce stand. Look at this fruit. Doesn't it look so delicious? Take a bite. 
And Eve couldn't help herself because she was a fan of the pomegranate. You say, I thought it was an apple. Read closely. It doesn't say pomegranate or apple. It says a forbidden fruit. And she took it and she said, oh my goodness, it's so delicious. But God said, don't eat it. But look how good it is. Take a bite. And she ate it, right? What was the temptation? Have you ever walked by the produce section at Wegmans? Has anyone ever done that? You just can't help yourself going through the produce section. Eve just, what, what, what happened? What did the devil tempt her with? So take a look. What's that? There was something missing. Well, there, there, there's a strange thing going on here where Satan says, go ahead and take and eat. Verse 6 of 3, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Said another way, here's a temptation. Go ahead and eat this. You won't need God to tell you what's right and what's wrong. You won't need to be submitted to the rule and reign of God to interpret life, to interpret circumstances for you. You can do it on your own. And Eve thought, Wow, I don't need to be subordinate to God. I can live independently. This will give me wisdom. And ever since Eve and Adam, all of us have been born with a desire for independence. And so one of our favorite terms that we use, I think. Here's my circumstance. I'm in need of a new job. I think that, hmm, I'm looking for a new house. I think that, hmm, I'm trying to decide if I should go to Bible study. I think that, hmm, I'm trying to decide what to do about my child or my spouse or my neighbor. I think that, stop, 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 because here's how we were made to live. I'm trying to decide what to do about this job. What would the Lord counsel me to do? I'm trying to decide what to do about this house. What does the Lord counsel me to do? I'm trying to decide about what to do with Bible study. What does the Lord counsel me to do? I'm trying to decide how to, you following what I'm saying here? Well, we are born with this natural, I think, because I know, because I interpret on my own. That's called foolishness. Fast forward, Luke 22. Simon, Simon, you will deny me three times. Well, I think when I examine my circumstances that you're wrong. I see how strong I am. I see the people against us. I know my capability. I think I will follow you to death. But what really happened? Simon, Simon, Luke 22, and watch how we work our way through. So you got... Got the stage set up? What is foolishness? Foolishness is thinking that you need not be subordinate to God for his wisdom and his direction to interpret life. Peter was playing the fool. It wasn't personality, it was ancestry. Man, that heat is blowing up here if y'all want to switch seats. We are created to be dependent upon God for provision, direction, interpretation, and explanation of all of life. As those who are saved, here's the battle. The old man, the lost person, says, I think, I think, I think. Creation sits in judgment on the creator. The Christian re-engages their proper standard of creation sitting in subordination to the creator but battling the two the flesh and the spirit well i want i think i interpret god says god knows god directs balancing ourselves between the two so peter comes or jesus comes to peter he says satan has demanded to have you now i have roughly three years of college Greek in seminary. And so I have the ability through my Greek to know that that first you in 31 is a plural form of you. Okay? Now to show you why I said that, it's not to show you how smart I am, to show you how stupid I am. 
I spent three years of tuition money, and you have that same knowledge if you look at that little footnote in your Bible. <laughs> the Greek word for you, twice in this verse, is plural. In verse 32, all four instances are singular. So yeah, I know Greek. I can read it in the Greek. Y'all got a footnote. Who the fool? I'm kidding. There's a, just, well, move on past that. But to read this properly, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have all of you, all of the disciples, that he might sift all of you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, singular, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. This is the first time I realize in 14 months I'm sitting right up on share, on these two here. You guys all right with that? You'll be back up. Uh, well, I'll work myself here. Notice what's going on. Jesus is in trouble. They're, they're coming for him. Judas is going to betray him. He's going to hand him over. He's going to be killed at the hands of, of wicked men. He's in trouble. But the disciples are in greater trouble, and they don't even know it. Jesus is laying down his own life. But, but look what's happening with the, with the disciples. You ever watch a good horror movie? There's like the good guy... And then, then, then the bad guy's creeping up for the good guy, and the good guy doesn't know he's there. So, biblical horror movie. Good guy reading his Bible. Oh, oh, oh. Then the door back there opens, and evil guy comes in. And you're watching, and good guy's reading his Bible. Oh, oh, oh. And the guy's coming up. You're like, turn around. Do we have any screen yellers here? Turn around. Look behind you. Any no screen yellers? That's what it's like. The devil is prowling like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's coming for him, and they don't even know it. So, so we got sinful Simon, big-headed, self-confident, not Christ-continent, continent, confident, playing the fool. The devil's coming after him, and he doesn't even know it. How about you? Do you know that the evil one would love to destroy you. Do you know that, that he's going to play on your flesh, that Adam and Eve flesh, and say, hey, Renee, it's in her head. Hey, Renee, you know what you should do. You're a smart woman. Go with what you think. Oh, you come on. Don't listen. You don't need other people. You know the right thing to do. Trust your feelings. Go with what you want. You see how mean all those people were to you? You know what you deserve? You deserve this. This is your chance to take a break. Do what you know you want to do, right? We're all dealing with that. Patty's dealing with it. Your boss is wicked. Your boss has been cruel for years, and, and now you can get back at him. Legally, honestly, and yes, biblically. Go ahead and do it, Patty. It'll be good for you. You Sue him. Put him in jail. Take all his money. You deserve it. <laughs> Don't ask anyone about it. You know, right? But it could be even more, more obvious and more difficult. You, may, you make a decision between two seemingly good things, but one of them has become a God thing for you. And do we know that the devil is after us? And do you know what he's trying to do to us all the time? What does Jesus say? How did, how did we have sinful Simon and a savior for sinners? How did Jesus pray for Peter? Did he pray that the devil would leave him be? Couldn't he have prayed that? Did he pray that Simon wouldn't sin? Could he have prayed that? Did he pray that Simon would, would have ease of circumstances? No. He prayed that his faith would not fail. Why? Why, why did he pray that Peter's faith would not fail? Romans 3, 21 to 26, how are we justified? By faith. Hebrews, without blank, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, anyone know the word? Blank allows us to extinguish the fiery darts of the devil. Ephesians 6, 16, anyone know? The righteous, Galatians 3, 11, live by? You take faith, you lost everything. Salvation, sanctification, ability to glorify God, ability to enjoy God. So Jesus prays that Peter's faith would not fail. Because he prays that his faith would not fail, his faith will not fail. But God will be glorified because God will keep his faith from failing and cause him to persevere to the end. You see what's going on here. He chooses to show his glory 
through the foolishness of men to, to display his strength through transforming, through sanctifying people. And then by faith, Peter will turn back to Jesus. By faith, Peter will be able to strengthen his brothers. Why? Because his faith has not failed. How often do we pray for one another or ask others to pray for us that our faith would not fail? We pray that the devil would leave us be, circumstances would be favorable, my body would feel better, my job would come in, my income would increase, my blank and blank and blank. But how often do we pray that our faith might not fail and we might not play the fool? You see what's going on here. So then he says, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? Luke 9, right? They said nothing. He says, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, a knapsack take it, and the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Do you remember Luke 9? Don't take a money bag, don't take a knapsack, don't take sandals. What happened? Well, obviously Jesus was wrong, right? Wrong. No, he can't be wrong. What's going on? For the first three years, Jesus was embraced by the culture. The Jewish leaders hated him, but the culture loved him, and his disciples benefited by provision. Well, that's about to change. The crowd that yelled Hosanna is about to yell crucify him. And he's saying to his people, be prepared, because in this world you're going to have trouble. The world hated me, it's going to hate you. So be prepared, be prepared. What he's saying is, every believer is called to live in total dependence on God for every daily need. However, that doesn't always mean presuming on God to meet those needs out of nowhere each day. You make a thousand bucks, don't go blow it all at once. Steward as God would call you to, but don't assume he's giving you a thousand bucks tomorrow and a thousand bucks the next day. You follow what I'm saying? It's a fine line here. Then he talks about swords. And what this is, is Jesus is a huge proponent of our Second Amendment rights. Thank you, someone laughed, because that could get sketchy in our current political environment, right? Jesus is a right-leaning Republican who's a big advocate of the Second Amendment. So Jesus gave us the right to bear arms. And I hope you all in Christ take advantage of that. In fact, Danny Morrison is always packing five weapons on her body at all times to show her love for Jesus. <laughs> now, if you believe any of this, I personally have an X-ray Danny, but I'm, this is not biblical Christianity. This is not about your Second Amendment rights. Why do I say that? Well, keep reading. Verse 49, I got Peter whipping the sword around, and Jesus goes, Booyah! Right? Got him good, Pete. Take the other ear. Parallel account of Matthew, he says, He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Read the book of Acts. Show me the example where the disciples are whopping people's heads off with, or lopping people's heads off with swords. Why is he telling them to get a sword? It's symbolic. It's symbolic of living in a dangerous world. This has nothing to do with a justification for, for carrying weaponry. Now, it's a good discussion for a real conversations, okay? I, I, would, I would make the argument, since I've jested, that there is biblical support for self-defense that comes out of Scripture, okay? It's a lot more complicated than you're probably going to think about because if you're defending yourself with lethal force, you're taking a life of a person. That person is lost, that person's going to spend eternity in hell. You want to start thinking about this on a deeper level, go through the whole counsel of God. Don't tell me what you think, let's dig into what God says. Okay, so, so don't read extremes here, I'm just trying to point out, this sword stuff is symbolic. Peter seemed to misunderstand because Malchus showed up, he lopped off an ear. Peter had to say, enough of this. Put the ear back on, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword symbolic. We live in a fallen, dangerous world as believers. Then he says, for I tell you, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Comes out of Isaiah, I believe it's 53. Do you know what that's talking about? It is Isaiah 53, 12. Not that Jesus hung between two criminals, it's that Jesus became, actually, functionally, literally became a transgressor. But I thought there was no sin in him. He didn't sin. He didn't sin, but he took my sin and your sin upon himself so he might place his righteousness upon us. 
He was numbered amongst the transgressors so the transgressors could be numbered amongst and made righteous. That's what this is talking about. And then they said to him, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he says to them, It's enough. You want to see a highly misinterpreted verse? They said to him, Look, here are two swords. And here's what's going on in the mind of the Lord. And I can guarantee you this from context. Holy cow, guys, you ain't getting this. You're not understanding this. You can't understand this. It's enough. We're done with this conversation. He's not talking that they have enough swords. He's talking about enough of this conversation here. You have no capacity to understand it until what I, what I have come to do, I have done. Do you see what's going on there? So, so let's work our way through this way. We talked about what is a fool. Well, Peter is a fool who has become a saint who still acts foolish. Foolish behavior is relying on self-counsel, world's counsel, but not God's counsel. So how do we do this? Do you have an example you can think of and stand up in front of everyone? Someone grab a microphone? No. Where we live foolishly as opposed to wisely. Think about where you are this very moment. I don't mean at God's Grace Bible Church. That's obviously a wise decision. Nobody laughs at that one. In life, how did you get to where you are personally, professionally, practically, all those things as they fit together? Here's what makes this so difficult. Did you arrive where you are by following Jesus perfectly all along the way? Now you've seen God's gracious, perfect hand at work in orchestrating good, wise choices and foolish choices for his glory and your good if you're saved. But understand the complexity of what's going on. How we arrive, where we arrive, and all the circumstances that we leave in our wake or leave in our presence because of it, right? Has anyone been to counseling this morning? Let me, let me ask that another way. Has anyone turned on the television this morning? Has anyone been online this morning? Has anyone talked to someone this morning? You've been to counseling. Have you received biblical counseling or foolish counseling? Has anyone talked to themselves today? <laughs> did you preach to yourself or talk to yourself? Did, did, did you hear from God through his word, through the spirit, bringing it to recall? Or did you talk to yourself about what you think? Said another way, why did you do what you did this morning and yesterday and last week and moving forward? Here's what's going on. I got this thing in my pocket that, that I wonder, in like 20 years, what, what are uh, Tyler's kids going to say to him? Dad, when you were little, did you have one of those giant brick things in your pocket with the glass on the front that you had to touch? Right? You know, my kids have no idea what a busy signal is call waiting, dial up. It's like, ho, oh, oh, you had to rewind things. Well, then the next generation. But anyway, we use this. This thing is an attention-sucking rabbit hole <laughs> in large part of foolishness. Absolute foolishness. You want to make a decision? Touch the glass. Instead of shaking the magic eight ball, boop, 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 it gives you wisdom, does it? Or does it give you foolishness and folly? Well, we're conditioned, Peter was conditioned by, by birth in Adam and Eve, by circumstances, by a bit of his personality, to live by I think. Where in your life are you living by I think this is best? You know why it says in an abundance of counsel is found much wisdom? Because we don't have the capacity, God doesn't intend us to have the capacity, on our own to interpret the motives of our heart and to apply his word to it. Here's what's tricky. Watch how this works. You go to the back of your Bible, you got a little concordance. So let's say that, that you're trying to decide, you have a new job offer. You're trying to decide if you should take the job offer. So you go to the letter J, and you look for job. There's a whole book about 
got jobs. Did you know that? <laughs> so let's flip there. Oh, no, that's not jobs, Joe. Job, I don't have job offer. Do you guys have job offer? No? Job. <laughs> it's Joe, Jerry. <laughs> you, you're, having, you're having marital conflict. So what do you do? You go back to your Bible, you go to concordance, you go to M, you go to marriage, and then, then all right, you can find marriage. And then you start looking here, and you're like, all right, here, what, is, what does Laura need to hear about? Yeah, this one. Got it. So I'm going to bring the marriage verse to her and show her what God says. She, the wife must submit to the husband. Booyah! Wisdom! Don't be a fool! Then, then you got an issue with your neighbor, and you do your neighbor. No, boy, he's an enemy at work. We'll go with enemy. Burning coals. <laughs> That's not how this works, and that's the problem. That's the I think approach to biblical interpretation. If you have marital conflict, neighborly conflict, trying to decide what to do with a job, it starts all the way back here at the heart. Why is it an issue? Why do you want a new job? Why do you want that job? Why do you have conflict? in a relationship. It's not about you changing them, it's about God working to change you. What's the root issue that you're failing to understand about your identity in Christ? You don't have the capacity to understand on your own because God didn't make us that way. Go back to creation and when everything was perfect. Adam and Eve were not equipped to live life on their own. They needed God to constantly tell them what this is and what to do with this. Here is your circumstance. Here is the interpretation of it. Here is what you're called to. They're, they're brilliant in relation to the rest of creation, but they ain't so smart compared to God. They're designed to be dependent upon him. In fact, he says it is not good for man to be alone. Why? I don't think it was just about company. It's about fellowship amongst the image bearers, but we're not going to go too far down that today. I'm going to stay on this context here. But now post-fall, we still keep tasting the fruit leftover taste, don't we? Well, I, I think, I, I got the Holy Spirit, I got the Bible, I got all that I need. Oh, do you? Or is that a little bit of Eve talking? Be, well, where in our life do we play the fool? As Christians, if you're not a Christian, you have no choice but to play the fool. Because you have no joy in submitting to the reality of who God is and, and who you are in Christ. So the best you can do, and you'll do this, you'll see this in interaction with, with non-Christian people. In fact, this is a problem with so much of our evangelism. Here's Jesus' resume. Let me know if you'd like to accept it. I didn't know that we examined his resume. Biblical evangelism is, let me show you your resume before God. Fallen short of the glory of God, condemned by God, an enemy of God, the eternal, the eternal judgment of God will fall upon you. Hell awaits you. That's your resume. And here's the gracious, glorious, and loving God who offers to forgive people who turn to him. You see the difference there? Well, where in our life do we fail to steward our time, our talent, our treasure, everything entrusted to us according to the word of God for the glory of God as we seek the wisdom of God through the counsel of others? applied to us by the Holy Spirit? Or where do we have a circumstance we try to figure out on our own? Well, I think two of the most dangerous words for any Christian person to say, because you now can think, you can see, you can understand the wisdom of God, because God has equipped us to, God had equipped Peter to, God would keep Peter's faith from failing, but Peter was no longer a blind fool, he was a sighted fool who was acting the fool all of a sudden. Apart from Christ, you're a blind fool. In Christ, you're a sighted saint. But a sighted saint with the remnant of the fool, so we often act like sighted fools. You following me here? Where do you tell Jesus, no, you're wrong? You know what I see it primarily in our cultural context, and it will continue to get worse and worse and more and more prevalent as we've moved through corona into the, um, you're going to have lots of, I don't, I'll call it e-church, uh, virtual church options coming forward. First of all, you, have, you ever turn on the kind of Christian TV show and listen to the kind of Christian preachers? We've gotten to the point where I don't find any good, solid biblical preaching on TV. 
I'll give you an example. I'll go a little bit out of my lane. Charles Stanley is the closest to okay, but if you really want to dig into it theologically, Charles Stanley is kind of an Arminian. You understand what that means? You can talk to me afterwards. He, I'm not saying he's not a Christian, but, but, but you're, getting, you're getting sugar light biblical preaching, and that's the best of the best you're going to get. You can find some good like political Christianity out there, which sounds a lot like this. We're in the end times. We, we, we've got to be prepared for the turmoil and the conflict coming to us. We're in the end times. So send your money in and buy the calendar and get the latest book on the, the blood moon or the coming of the Antichrist. We've been in the end times since Jesus was crucified. I got news for you. And if you think it's bad here, you're kind of missing global history. I'm, I'm just kind of saying, you know, your taxes might go up a little bit and gas costs a little more. But if that means the end times is coming, I'm just saying, you know, Nero was a little bit worse. And now you could attend church at a distance. You, you used to be able to go to the seeker-sensitive approach where you can do it at a distance. You can consume some, some teaching that you like and go figure out what to do with it on your own. Well, now you don't even have to go. You can just log on. You click the upper right-hand corner to make your donation, and you consume what you like, and nobody knows you, and you don't know anybody. This just isn't what God has intended. So we live in light. It's easier, right? You don't have to interact with people like me if you just stay home. You can interact with yourself. Everybody likes themselves better than me, including me. Figure that one out. But, but what we need is to submit to the reality of who God is and what God calls us to. Do not neglect to gather together as some are prone to do. Well, come on, Jesus, give me a break. I can gather virtually. Really, because the word church means a physical assembly. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. Things change with it. Just how about we slow down for a minute? How about we dig into why are we doing what we're doing? Do you really want to trust that God is wiser than you are? I don't, not in the flesh. I'm a pretty smart dude. I'm, I'm highly attentive to my circumstances, from my perspective. I, 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 I think I know better than God knows half the time. In fact, if he would just submit to my prayer list, things would go a lot more smoothly. Is it just me that struggles with that at times? Now, God, God's proven to be a little wiser than me over the years, and by a little, I mean infinitely. God has proven to know better than me what I need. God has cared for me perfectly, but I'll constantly default back to without care of others. God, you don't know what you're doing. Where do we struggle to submit to the rule and reign of God because we follow the flesh or the world? Do you ever wonder, I experienced this years ago, we used to have um, regular, normal countertops in our old house. You know, those, I don't even know what the... Is that what it's called? You know, like I grew up with this stuff. It was like, I don't know, just smooth, normal, man-made thing. You know, we went to someone's house, and no, went to my mom's house, and all of a sudden she ripped, redid her kitchen, and she got new countertops, and they were stone, some sort of stone. And I'm like, wow, those look way better than the, the plasticky thing we have. Then I went to a friend's house, and they had the stone on there. I'm like, wow, those are... And I'm, everyone's getting the stone on the countertops, and I got the formica thing in, and the corner's coming up, and I'm like, I need stone countertops. And then I need refrigerators that, like, they, they, they would look metal. I don't know. Look how good I am with home decorating. Patty, what, what do you call the stainless steel? Because I started seeing those, and I'm like, I like the refrigerators because you can't put magnets on them. I'm a firm believer that, that God is more pleased with a clean refrigerator than one with magnet stuff all over it. I think, if you're paying attention, you know I'm being a fool, but I think anyway. And so I'm going through, and I'm like, I need this. This is better. This will make me happy. This is good. And this is all coming from worldly wisdom. I went off to college as an 18-year-old kid. I picked a major. How do I pick a major? Well, I think I'll make the most money doing this. I think this will make me successful. I think this will make me happy. I think this, I think, I think, I think. How many of those decisions are based on the glory of God? In fairness, the counters up at the house are not for Micah, they're stone. Okay? Don't, I don't want you going home thinking, I've sinned grievously because I have stone countertop. Well, we've sinned together, if that's the case. 
The world will give us counsel and wisdom and tell us what to do and when to do and how to do it and what to pursue. The American dream is a house with a picket fence and what, 2.5 kids and a dog. A dog, not a cat, not a gerbil, a dog. You guys got me there? That's the American dream. But is that the biblical dream? The American dream says seek first the job and then the house and the kids and the fence and the dog will be added to you. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, not the house and the dog, don't misunderstand. All these things will be added to you. World's wisdom, God's wisdom. Flesh's wisdom, God's wisdom. This is the balance we're constantly working through. Do you flip over to 1 Corinthians 1 for a minute, please? Y'all still with me? I feel badly for you at times because we live in a culture. You're much better. But an attention span of about two minutes, and I'm preaching 40 minutes. I feel y'all getting a good nap. First, see y'all sleeping, obviously. First Corinthians 1. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is what? Folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Talking about worldly wisdom. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Did you know that wisdom came to us in the form of a man named Christ, who was God? That we were fools by birth, we were saved by grace. And as those who are saved, we live in the midst of a dangerous world where the flesh is a danger to us, the devil is a danger to us, conformity to the ways of the world is a danger to us. And the reason that if we are in Christ, we will not fail is because he intercedes for us and he has atoned for us. He prays for us that our faith will not fail, and he became numbered amongst the transgressors so we might become numbered amongst his people. What I want you to take out of this text, how about just five things to remember? Don't you want a list of doing? Isn't that a better American approach? Do, do these things. Remember who you were apart from Christ. Remember that Genesis 3 story? The, the sin wasn't an issue of the produce aisle. The sin was an issue of wanting independence from God. If you don't remember, that's your natural state. That you might want to use God for your benefit, but to submit to God for his glory, knowing his care for you, that's not natural. That's supernatural. That's new birth stuff. Remember who you were apart from Christ. A glory robber who told God and constantly told God to shut his mouth, sit in his seat, and mind his business. You'll call him when you're ready. Do you ever notice that's how you treated God apart from Christ? Shut your mouth, old man, sit in your seat, I'll let you know when I need something from you. Sounds audacious, doesn't it? Remember who you are in Christ. Sighted saints who must fight against foolishness. Now, if we're not careful, what we do in the flesh, naturally, habitually, by the old man, is say to God, as his children, 
Shut your mouth, sit in your seat, I'll let you know when I need you for something. Have you ever done that? Now, we don't want to say it that way because that sounds horrible, but functionally, have you ever done that? I know what I want to do, and I'm going to go do it. Now, listen, listen to me. You make it happen. Make it easier for me. We don't say it like that. We just, Lord, I, I pray that, that you would give me this promotion and this increase in income for your glory, please. Amen. But what we're really saying is I, I have my mind set on this. I have my heart set on this, and I'd like you to make this happen. I'll even do something nice for you if you'll do this for me. Careful. Because that's not an old man. That's a creator God who made us from nothing, and nothing isn't even a fair term because nothing is something, who created ex nihilo, who we sinned against, and who was so gracious and merciful and, and, and steadfast in his love that he took on our sin so that he could place his righteousness upon us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't say, get your act together and quit acting the fool and then you can come to me. No, he came to those who were foolish to save us as wisdom, to give us the ability to know him and trust him and walk with him as we delight in him. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember how you were saved by the very wisdom of God, the person of Christ. Realize this world is a dangerous place. I think that's been one of the saddest, hardest things during the past 12 months. We, we can have a discussion about the, the infection fatality rate of COVID. Do you want to know the infection fatality rate of sin? 100%. You can wear four masks, 13 rubber gloves, and spray your body with Lysol all day. You're still going to die. You might die sooner if you did all that, actually, so I don't recommend it. We, we've watched a world in the last 12 months live in abject terror of a disease, a respiratory disease, that, that is quite deadly, in particular to certain demographics. And, and we've had a hoopla, rip-roaring good time as a society, bantering back and forth as we politicized the pandemic. But it's been so interesting to watch how, how, how scared the world is of death, how, how far they will go to try to avoid it. But the reality is it's coming for you. And there's nothing you can do about it. But there's something Jesus has done. Jesus killed death. And the way that we are able to live is by dying to self. Listen, the, the world is a dangerous place because the world will try to convince you of many lies and entice you to, to many lies as well. The world is a dangerous place because the devil roars about like a lion seeking someone to kill or devour. He, he says all sorts of sweet lies. You deserve a break today at McDonald's. That's obviously not of the devil because McDonald's is going to be one in heaven. You'll see Quran fully healed from the Achilles, riding the See, he got his, he claimed his biblical scooter early. It'll be rested by heaven and he'll be hanging by the McDonald's. We'll all hang out with Quran. Do you really deserve a break today? Why? Now, the biblical, the biblical jingle is, you deserve condemnation today. Eternity in hell is surely your way in the kingdom. That doesn't sell real well. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, I spent all week writing that jingle. <laughs> My kids are like, where do you come up with this? They're like, I don't know. I told them. But listen, remember who you were apart from Christ. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember how you were saved. Remember the world is a dangerous place. And in light of all those things, be confident. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and women and children. Be strong. Self-confidence kills. Christ's confidence saves. Peter was one of the most self-confident people you would ever meet, and that is the definition of foolishness and folly. Wisdom is found in realizing how confident we can be in Christ, how weak we are in our own, and how strong he truly is. People sometimes ask the question, would you be willing to die for your faith? Do you want to know my answer? Totally honest, well-informed theological response. Do you want to know what I'd be willing to die for my faith? No. Nope. Somebody puts a gun to my head and tells me to, to deny Christ if I want to live. You want to know what I'm going to be doing in the flesh? Yep. Yeah. Deny. 
Sounds crazy, doesn't it? You know why I know in the flesh I would do that? Well, because ah, that's what Jesus says you'll do in the flesh. Will I really deny him, though? We'll see. If Jesus is praying that my faith might not fail, and someone put a gun to my head and told me if I deny Christ, then I can live, well, if I don't deny Christ, he gets the glory, not my stubbornness. Because in the flesh, I'm looking out for me. In the spirit, by his power, I want to see him glorified. The odds are, if I'm thinking that I'm set and I won't deny him, I'm going to be the first one to deny him. But if I know in the flesh I would, it's highly likely I will not deny him. Because I'll be resting and rejoicing in him. What Peter should have said, here we go. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter should say, oh, Lord, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, if it would be at all possible, help me to not deny you. But now let's know what Peter says. Just come on, Jesus, what are you, a fool? Don't, don't you know who I am? I'm ready to go to both prison and to death. Now, what happened to the 11? We're going to, I'll give you it, and we'll, we'll close this down here for today. They go to the garden. The bad dudes come in. What do the 11 do? Boom! Gone. Right? So, you, you, you're right. you, you think you're going you're to stand firm? You, you think in the flesh you would have been the one who hung out. Let's go, Jesus, me and you. You'd be with naked John Mark. Hey, guy, you read your Bible closely. You probably grabbed his clothes. He's hiding behind the bushes. Do you understand the beauty of the gospel in that? You will deny Christ in various ways throughout your life as saved people. But you know what will never happen? Christ will never deny you. That's the beauty of the gospel. And as you come to be more and more enamored with this Christ who has saved you, who will never deny you, and you trust in him and rest in him more and more, then you will deny him less and less. And through that progression, he is glorified because it is he who is causing that to take place in your life. In John, I believe it's chapter 21, the Peter who denied Jesus went for a walk on the beach with Jesus. And Jesus says to that same Peter, when you grow old in years, people will lead you with your arms outstretched where you do not want to go. And what, Peter, what Jesus was talking about was this. You will die for me. Rejoicing all along the way because your faith will not fail. And on the day Peter was crucified upside down, he met Jesus face to face and saw him for the first time for who he truly and fully was through sinless eyes. Peter's sin was left behind as he entered into the glory of God, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through his very own weakness, by the strength of Christ himself. So we could say, don't be foolish. That's what we should be doing. But how do we not be foolish? Trusting in the wisdom of God, rejoicing in the person of God, remembering that Jesus himself is, in fact, wisdom. What if we tried hard not to use the words, I think, but rather rejoice and rested in the words, God says. That's the battle of our life in Christ. Let's pray. Actually, let's pray and then we'll pray. You're supposed to remind me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you will never deny us. Thank you, Lord, that you did not come into the world to fix up pretty good people and make them better. You came only for the worst of the worst. You came for the, the lowly, sinful, selfish, dirty, mired enemies of God. You came to love people who hated you. You came to save lost people. You didn't come to make prettier already pretty people you came to make the ugly beautiful in your sight lord jesus help us to understand who we were apart from you and who we are in you 
Help us to understand how we became such. Help us to see people as you see them. But in order to do that well, Lord Jesus, help us to see ourselves as you see us. Lord, we live in a, we live in a, a battle with the flesh where we desperately want approval from other people. And there are times when that's appropriate and good and edifying, but it always fails to compare to the approval we already have in you. Lord Jesus, we want people to want to be around us. And again, that's not always a bad thing, but how much more wonderful that you chose us to be around you forever because you delight in us. Lord, we want safety. We want security. We want abundant joy, and we run around trying to create those on our own, but we have them already secure in you. Lord, we think we're pretty smart and special, when in reality, we are more foolish than we realize. You call us sheep, not Jack Russell Terriers. You tell us of our foolishness again and again, but you do it in a way to entice us to your glory and goodness and wisdom. Lord Jesus, thank you for choosing people like Peter, people that we could relate to, people that let you down. Thank you for the work that you did in Peter's life. We'll never see a pedestal for Peter in heaven, but we'll see Peter pointing fully to the pedestal upon which you stand, Lord Jesus, because of the work you did in and through his life. Lord, how could, through these 11 guys who betrayed you, could you turn the world upside down with your gospel? That's impossible. But it actually is fully possible through you, and it's a work you continue to do this very day. Lord, thank you for saving us while we were still sinners. Thank you for loving us, not because of anything we had to offer you, but simply because you chose to bestow your love upon us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that because you first loved us, we are able to love you and love others. And help us, Spirit, by your power for your glory, to desire to walk in wisdom and fight foolishness day by day. Help us to do it first and foremost for your glory as we rest and trust and rejoice in you. And allow us to remember that you lead us in wisdom, you lead us in paths of righteousness, not only for your namesake, but for the joy you desire for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are exactly who you say you are and that we are exactly who you say we are in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you still save people. I pray that you would do that, even in our presence, that you would use us in that process to go out into a dark and scary world and proclaim the reality that this God who made all is knowable and through that knowledge, is able to be lived in fellowship with because God saves. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, help us for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Now before Jay closes us, because I said we flip it on the back 